Let's take our Bibles now and let's turn to Acts chapter 2. As far as I know, for a little while now, this will be our last time turning to Acts chapter 2. We will be turning to another study. Acts chapter 2, we come to the end of our study on devoted. Devoted. I have not planned a closing message on this series Kind of the one that says, are you devoted? Are you committed to being devoted? How would you rate yourself compared to them? We've been doing that through the whole series. But my desire is that this has been something that has grounded you in what we ought to be devoted to from day to day, week to week, as a local church. So today we come to the fourth activity that the early church was devoted to, and that was to the prayers. Jesus said this in Luke 18, They ought always to pray and not to lose heart. So my dear brothers and sisters in the Lord, let's consider this together. Let's pray. Father, as we bend our wills to consider what you've said, may we with joy receive this word implanted in our hearts, submitting to your spirit to do your will. And we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. What should I ask Santa to get me for Christmas? That's the question on the mind of every person lined up at the mall to see Santa Claus, to sit on his lap and tell him exactly what he wants for Christmas. For some people, that's exactly what they do every single year. They're trying to decide, should I ask for a train or a doll, a bike or a scooter, a ball or a hairbrush? There are so many things that you can ask for. Of course, as we learn from all the Hallmark movies, the older you get, the less you think about those things. The less that you write Santa Claus a letter. Instead, you just forward your Amazon wish list to to family and friends. You make it easy on people because you know what? Some people really need you to make it easy for them. It would actually be wonderful if you put it in the cart and just let them know they need to check out. That's how much help they need. Well... You say, if you don't do some of those things, if you don't ask, you might not get. That's true. It is true. You have not because you ask not. So now we come to the fourth and final of the things that the early church was devoted to. In Acts chapter 2, we read this. We have to recall who these people were because that is of utmost importance We have talked about a number of religious activities at this point, and these things are not for everyone. They are for very specific people. Those who were devoted had already heard and received the gospel of Jesus Christ. They had done so personally, and publicly they had responded in obedience to be baptized in Christ's name and be added to Christ's church. That's what came first, and that's what must come first. And then for all of those people, we read in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. You see, this was a church of faith, 
because they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And what we would say today, they devoted themselves to the Bible, what it teaches. This was a church of love because they devoted themselves to the fellowship. They gave themselves to their neighbors who also believed in Jesus. And they were a church of worship because they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and the Lord's Supper. You see, it's in this ordinance that we are called to remember the death of Christ, that he died for our sins. This is also a church of worship because they devoted themselves to the prayers. And that's what I would like us to investigate together. What are the prayers? Now, is this talking about specific prayers? Like particular ones we're supposed to pray? Well, let's think about that. Were these people devoted to praying specific prayers? You know, what kind of prayers might you pray? Well, there's probably one prayer that can come to every person's mind when I say a specific prayer. That's the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed by thy name. You know that prayer. You grew up with that prayer. Now, some of you grew up in the Roman Catholic Church, so you know not only the Our Father, but the Hail Mary, or the Glory Be, and the lists go on. Or if you picked up the paper this last week, and in many weeks in the paper, you see the prayer to the Blessed Virgin. And it says in that prayer that this one is never known to fail. Or if you're familiar with those Muslims who pray five times a day, you've heard them cry out again and again, Allahu Akbar. Those are examples of very specific prayers. But let's talk about specific prayers that come from the Bible. Because there's a lot of them, and perhaps you're familiar with more than you might think. In addition to the Lord's Prayer, you probably know The blessing of Aaron. You've heard it said, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. Probably know that one. Or you remember Jesus' prayer in the garden when he prayed, not my will but thine be done. Or you remember Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17. Or you remember Mary's prayer. Or Zechariah's prayer. Or Simeon's prayer in the beginning of the book of Luke. Or you remember the prayer of the tax collector. His prayer was quite short. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Or you remember the prayers of famous Bible characters like Hezekiah, Hannah, Daniel, Solomon, Jonah, Paul. Certainly we know about these prayers. Perhaps one of the most well-known person we know about prayer is the prayers of David, because we have so many of the Psalms, which were his prayers. So, does the Bible have specific prayers that people prayed? It does. There's a lot of them. But the question is, was the first church devoted to those specific prayers? And I would say, if they were, we don't know. Because when we read the prayers that are recorded for us in the book of Acts, they're not reciting specific prayers. That's not to say they didn't use some of those things from the Old Testament, But we don't have an example there. Instead, what we see them pray are prayers that are spontaneous. They're off the cuff. Moving on then, were these folks who were devoted to the prayers, were they devoted to specific types of prayers? 
say types of prayers. What is that? Well, it's often known by the acronym ACTS, A-C-T-S, for adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. You see, we have been taught that in prayer, we can adore God for who he is. We can confess sins that we've committed against God. We can thank God for what he's done. And we can supplicate or entreat or ask God for the things that we need. A-C-T-S. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Now, is that what Luke is referring to when he says that the early church was devoted to the prayers? Was he talking about specific types of prayers? Probably not. Probably was not being that specific, even though we see elements of all those things throughout the book of Acts. So what do the prayers refer to? I'd say the prayers refer to praying multiple times. The fact that the word prayer is plural means that they prayed often. Of course, that was true on a basic level with Cornelius. If you turn to Acts chapter 10, we read that an angel came and visited Cornelius and he said this to him. He said, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. You see, Cornelius had a habit of praying. He prayed repeatedly. We know that because it says so in verse 2 where it describes him. He's a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. So that seems to help us understand what the prayers is. It's praying repeatedly, multiple times. If you turn to 1 Timothy Chapter 5, you see that the widows who qualified for church assistance had to, have, had to have a reputation for continuing in supplication and prayers night and day. So they had to pray often to be qualified. And perhaps the person who most popular, popularly prayed many, many times was Daniel, who when he was in Babylon and was told not to pray, he kept praying three times a day. As you know, they sent him to the den of lions. So these people in Acts were devoted to the prayers. That means they prayed often. These prayers were also organized. You see, the church met together to pray. This isn't simply talking about private prayer. This is talking about corporate prayer. And as we go through the book of Acts, we see that the church often got together in order to pray. So you could turn to Acts chapter 1. This is where Jesus has returned to heaven and his followers go back to Jerusalem. And it says in verse 14 that they, the apostles, all joined together constantly in prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. They got together and prayed. And then after the church has started in Acts 2 with the coming of the Holy Spirit, Peter and John, you remember, preached in Jerusalem. The religious authorities didn't like that. They got angry. They imprisoned them. Then they told them, you need to not do any more of this preaching, and then they released them. Then we see that Peter and John gather together with the church 
and they joined in prayer. The Bible says in verse 31, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. You see, again, they're together and they're praying. Later in Acts, in chapter 12, we read that James was martyred. Peter was imprisoned again, awaiting trial where he'd probably be convicted to die. So the church met to pray. Chapter 12, verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. And again, that wasn't individual prayer. That was corporate prayer. Because we remember that Peter was miraculously delivered. It says in verse 12 that he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. I say this to make the point that the church was repeatedly found together praying. So when you think about local church gathering, you should think prayer. It was often and it was organized. Now why might that be true? Of all the things a church could do, why would prayer be that important? I want you to remember what Jesus said to his disciples in Luke 18. He said to them, he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not to lose heart. Do you recall the parable he taught them? It was about the widow and the unjust judge. The widow came to the judge with her complaint, and the judge didn't care about her at all, but because she kept on coming, he granted her request. And by comparison, Jesus then asks the question, will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. So what Jesus is trying to teach there is that his people need to persist in prayer. And that's exactly what we find among the people who were first devoted in the church. They prayed multiple times. Now let's consider, secondly, this morning, when did they pray? When did they pray? Well, they prayed when they made decisions. Think about the decisions that were made in the book of Acts. I'm going to run through them quickly. In chapter 1, they prayed over the selection of the apostle to replace Judas. Verse 24 and 25. You, Lord, who knows the hearts of all, Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. So they prayed for God's guidance. Acts chapter 6, they prayed for those who were selected to be deacons for the church. Verse 6, these they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Acts 13, they prayed over those who were being sent out from the church as missionaries. Verse 2 and 3 say, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and set them off. Turn to Acts 14. This is where they prayed for those who were appointed to be elders in the church. Verse 23, when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So you could say in summary, whenever they had to make an important decision about ministry in the church, they prayed about it. 
Why? Because they wanted God to guide them. They didn't want to go with what they wanted or by their own wisdom. They wanted what God wanted. They wanted to seek the Lord about that. They also prayed when they faced difficulties. Not only when they made decisions, but when they faced difficulties. Jesus had said that the church would face persecution because they were committed to him. And we read in chapter 12 that James was martyred for the faith and that Peter was imprisoned again. And that must have been a real rough situation. Peter had done nothing wrong, but he's being imprisoned like a criminal, about to die as a criminal would die. You think, what did the church do? What could they do? Did they post on social media? Did they protest in the streets? Did they phone the representative? No. The church did the best and most effective thing they could do. They had a prayer meeting. Verse 5, so Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was being made to God by the church. Of course, we remember the Sunday school story, how that prayer meeting ended. Ended with Peter interrupting his own prayer meeting. Later, we learn about Paul and Silas, who are going to plant the church in Philippi, and they were imprisoned. We know that Lydia was there, and there were some who were converted in Philippi, and perhaps they were praying, but we know for sure that Silas and and Paul were praying and praising God in prison. Verse 25, it says, at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And then we remember how it was the testimony of Paul and Silas that compelled the jailer to beg them for the knowledge of how to be saved. See, the church prayed when they made decisions or when they faced difficulties. Why? Because they wanted God's guidance and they wanted God's glory in all things. So prayer was a staple activity in the church. That's what they were devoted to. Now, lastly, this morning, how are they devoted to pray? How are they devoted to prayer? Two simple things I want you to consider, and I want to press home on these for ourselves. They were devoted because they prayed with each other. And we might say then, they met together, they purposed to meet together. For the very purpose of prayer. They decided that would be part of their service, if you want to say it that way. So we would likewise be devoted to prayer to the degree that we pray together. Now just thinking about the obvious for a moment. Every single Sunday we gather together, we pray a handful of times in the morning service. On Wednesday we meet for prayer meeting. And then throughout the week... We see each other, we call each other, we pray together. And we remember Jesus' promise that he said, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. You've heard that quoted many times, and that's a very encouraging thing. But did you notice Christ's all-important condition about corporate prayer? Can you put your finger on it in the text? Matthew 18, 19, and 20. What is absolutely essential in corporate prayer? 
If two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, the important condition is agreement. So people who are devoted to prayer need to agree on what is being said to God. Perhaps you've heard the phrase, and all God's people said? Now the answer to that is amen. What is that phrase meant to do? It's meant to prompt you to agree with what has just been said. Now, is it absolutely essential that each one of us, when we pray corporately, out loud says amen? Is that absolutely essential? No. It doesn't need to be verbal. But it needs to be. It can be silent, but it can't be absent. Because the point that Jesus is making is there must be agreement with what is said in prayer. So, I find that it helps me remember what Jesus said and expects in prayer. I find it very helpful to, when someone else is praying, to end with them and say, Amen. It helps me stay focused on the fact that that is an essential part of prayer. It helps me stay focused when the person is leading in prayer. So I personally highly recommend amens at the close of any and every corporate prayer. That's just a great habit that I found personally. But let's at least consider the most basic applications of the fact that the early church was devoted to prayer. Number one, you should be committed to praying with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Are you? You see, to accomplish that, you have to be with them. And when you're with them, you need to be engaged with them in prayer. That is hard work. That's hard work. There's no way to sugarcoat that. I can say that with some authority because Jesus says to them, he told them a parable that they should always pray and not lose heart. Jesus knows how difficult it is. But even he was a man of prayer. And to perhaps color the fact that we're encouraged to pray, if you turn back to Acts chapter 10 and read the story of Cornelius, the divine message given by the angel to Cornelius was this, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. He didn't simply say that God heard your prayer, he described those prayers They were as a memorial. That is to say that God views that prayer as a sacrifice that's offered up to him. And we've already been through Revelation 8, where the prayers of the saints are compared to incense, what is sweet and has a wonderful smelling aroma. You've all been to the mall before. You've passed by different stores, and you can smell them because they have something like a lotion. You smell it, and you think, that smells so nice. That's great. It's pleasing. 
And that's how God describes the prayers of his people. They are pleasing to him. He enjoys when you speak to him. So God's encouraging us to pray. We need to be committed to do so. Secondly, by way of application, we need to affirm the value of prayer. When you look through the book of Acts and you see when they prayed, you realize that God did amazing things when the church prayed. People were delivered from prison, people were saved. People spoke and witnessed boldly. And as you look through church history, you realize that so many of the great revivals through the ages have come because the church got together and prayed. So prayer is something that we ought to value, but I would dare say that it is almost not valued at all in the American Christian church. Think of this. Imagine someone's Someone posts that the worship of their church today was just amazing. Are they trying to tell you that the corporate prayer of that church was just out of this world? Is that what they really mean when they say the worship was amazing? That the prayer at that church was just overwhelmingly great. That's that's never what they mean, is it? You see, the sad reality is that many people clap for the band at church, but not for the prayer at church. Now, I know that when we sing, that is actually prayer. We're not singing into a vacuum. That is singing to God. That is prayer. But wouldn't you agree that clapping for the band and not for prayer points to the fact that the American church is mostly about entertainment and not for entreating the Lord. We don't clap for ourselves in family worship when we sing or pray. Why would we do it here when we're here with the big family singing and praying? You see, our focus is supposed to be on what God says and how easy it is for a good thing or other things to make an imbalance in the church. We're supposed to be given to prayer, but even our religious culture can push out what is so important in the church. So we should, as a church, be absolutely committed to meet together for the purpose of prayer. Of all the things we do together, we ought to look forward to praying together. And as we considered this morning at length in Sunday school, we learn to pray by praying with other people. You see, we learn this, we learn to pray by hearing other people pray. And we know that from the scriptures because when we read about Jesus giving the Lord's Prayer, when his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray, the context of that is that the disciples had just seen Jesus praying on his own, and then the disciples asked him, Lord, teach us to pray, Luke 11.1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he'd finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. 
So how do you learn to pray? Seeing someone else pray. How did you learn to pray? Probably by seeing someone else pray. Perhaps it was your father. Perhaps it was your husband. Because those are the kinds of people who model prayer each day in family worship. Or it's through brothers and sisters in Christ who come together to church and they pray. And you hear them pray. And that's how you learn. And it is of absolute necessity that everyone learns to pray. So even for the folks who can't touch the floor because your feet, your legs aren't that long today, you need to learn to pray. How are you going to learn? By going to church. By listening when mom and dad pray at home. Every single Sunday morning, we teach you how to pray the scripture. Every single week. Every week, we teach you how to adore God, confess your sin, thank God for things, and ask God for things that you need. That's modeled for you every single week. You learn to pray by going to church. And you should never feel that you can't pray or be embarrassed to pray. This is what we Christians do. This is what we do together. I mean, you're not embarrassed to cheer for your baseball team, your football team, your hockey team. Why would you be afraid to pray with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Praying to the God that you'll spend eternity with. Church is a great place to learn to pray. And if you think you need help of how to pray, as soon as the sermon is done today, go find someone with a head of white hair and ask them how to pray. Ask them to teach you how to pray, and they would be very happy to teach you. They'd be very, very pleased you do that. The church is supposed to pray with each other. We're also supposed to pray for each other. When Peter was in prison, what did the people do? They prayed for him. There's many other examples of that, particularly in the New Testament. We see the fact that God's people are always supposed to be praying for each other. That's why we have it in our covenant as a church, that we will faithfully pray for one another. And as a side note there, when we pray for each other, that is a wonderful preventative against being disappointed with one another. When our fleshly thoughts rise up in our minds against our brothers and sisters in the Lord, that is a moment you need to confess that and pray for that brother or sister, praying that they would return to the Lord and turn from their sin. It needs to be a regular thing that we pray for each other all the time by name, by request. That's what God's people do. In particular, that's what church leaders are given to do. Acts 6 verse 4 says, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the world, of the word. So this is what you ought to think about a pastor. He needs to be preaching to you and praying for you. What does a pastor do? He preaches to you. He prays for you. If that's his main job, and it is, feel free to pepper him with requests, because that's what his job is. Numerous times, even this last week, someone has shared a a request. 
Something for me to pray for. I got a call again this morning about something I need to pray for. That's a wonderful thing. When you have a need, share it with me, your pastor. You know, when you have a broken leg, you make the decision to go to the doctor. If you don't, that's not good. Even so, when you have a spiritual need, you need to go ask your pastor to pray for you. It's really good for you to do that, and it's good for me to hear that from you. But now in closing, you remember the fact that around Christmas time, you have that big question. What am I going to ask Santa for when I sit on his lap? A train or a doll, a ball or a hairbrush? Of course, when you get older, you just you don't have that same Christmas magic anymore. But for some reason, that's not really a terrible thing. It's not really a terrible thing to neglect writing Santa and asking him for things. But the fact that we have a personal relationship with the sovereign God of the universe who delights to hear our prayers, and we read that the early church was devoted to prayer, we realize we have to be devoted to prayer as well. And the thing about prayer is that it takes work. There's no bones about it. This is one of the hardest things that they were devoted to. But this is the work that God's people are to embrace. And by God's grace, we can. We can be devoted to this. Father, as we close then now, we ask that you would help us to have an honest evaluation where we stand with prayer. Not simply in our closets, in our private war rooms, but in particular, with each other, for each other. Because that's what these folks were devoted to. And Lord, so often it's the case that we fail in this regard because we haven't made sufficient plans to be constant in prayer. So Lord, we ask that we would act in obedience today to be committed to praying. In Jesus' name, amen.